Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode, everybody. We're happy to be with you today, wherever you are. Maybe you're driving in your car. Maybe you are doing your exercise routine or washing the dishes. Maybe you're that listener who likes to listen to us in the shower. Remember we talked about that <laughs> yes, person? Yes, And we actually got somebody who right into, yep, that is, I'm the one. <laughs> Wherever you are, thank you for tuning in today. We're happy and, to be with you. And Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas. So it being Christmas, I thought I'd ask you to share with our listeners, do you have a favorite Christmas carol? I do. Well, I want to know what it is. Do you, I want to? I want you to guess. How about that? Oh, I'm gonna be wrong. But just guess. Okay. Um, I'll give you a hint. It's not Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Oh, I do like God rest ye merry gentlemen. That's number two. Is it really? It is. Okay. You know what I love about that? What? To save us all from Satan's power. I know. I was when we had gone that. astray. Yeah. I love that line. I love that line. So that too. that is my second. That would have been number two. Okay. But number one, you want to give another guess? No. No. Go ahead. Oh, holy night. That's my favorite too. It is. Yeah. We've been married twenty. <laughs> this is our twenty eighth Christmas together, and we didn't know that that we share the same. We may have talked about this long ago, but go ahead and share. I I, I love it. I want to hear what you have to say about yeah, it. Yeah. Just the the melody is so beautiful. The words I love, um, the O Night Divine, that whole really high part. Yeah. O Night Divine. Yeah. That, I can't yeah. even hit it. But yeah. yeah, that. I love it. I love it. It makes my heart sore. Mm. Not sore like as an ouchie, like sore as in fly. Fly, yeah. It speaks so beautifully about, um, I love that part, he knows our need to our weakness, he's no stranger. Mm. Behold your king, mm. before him lowly bend. Oh, it's just very, very personal about his coming into our place of need for him. I love that. Thank you, Lord, for coming into our needs. Thank you for the promise and the hope of your incarnation. Thank you for the beauty of Mary's body, giving birth to the beauty of your body, the full glory of the male and female body on display in that cave in Bethlehem. Thank you, Lord. I actually just had a funny memory about Christmas carols. I can yeah. picture myself in my neighbor's house as a kid, and this girl saying to me, did you know that there's a Christmas song that says, Satan? <laughs> and she said it like it was a really bad word. Oh, <laughs> and she was talking about God rest you, Mary yeah. gentlemen. That's kind of a funny memory. Well, do you have any updates about the TOB Institute for our listeners? Yes, I want our listeners to consider coming to the sexual healing and integration course at the end of January. This is being offered by the Desert Stream Ministries team, and they're going to take you through their living, wa a truncated version of their Living Waters program. Uh, their Living Waters program is something they offer in parishes over multiple weeks, 
but you get an intensified version of it over five and a half days at the Sexual Redemption and Integration course. Andrew Kamiski is a dear friend of mine. He's been leading Desert Stream Ministries for, wow, nearly 40 years. And he came into the Catholic Church through the gift of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. He came into the church about 10 or 11 years ago, and he brings such a wealth of pastoral experience into the Catholic Church with this course that he's offering. It's different than our typical course. It's not so much the lecture format. It's, it is that. It's presentation by a, a, a large team of presenters, but there's also small group work to get down into the places in our hearts that really need healing. So if that is of interest to you, please check out the link in the show notes to learn more. And again, that's at the end of January into the first week of February. Excellent. And our first question is from a patron, a patron named Mac. Hello, Mac. Mac says, in general, does the Catholic Church look down on the use of sex toys in the marriage bed? I can imagine uses of them that would be sinful, basically replacing one's spouse with an artificial object. But if it is merely an enhancement or an addition to the union of man and woman in intercourse, is it wrong? If so, where do we draw the line on intercourse-enhancing items? Surely a bed might be said to enhance the sexual intimacy by making it more comfortable or pleasurable <laughs> than the floor. Well, he's got a point there. <laughs> uh, Mac, interesting. I, I just received an email today that was dealing with this very same question, and I wrote a bit of an extensive answer to it. So this is kind of fresh on my mind. And that's also a sign that Mac's not the only person who's wondering that's right. about this. So. This, is, this is out there in the cultures, rather widespread. Uh, but I, I have some serious concerns about going in this direction. I believe our bodies themselves were designed by God to bring to husband and wife the experience of pleasure and joy and delight in one another that God intends. And our bodies themselves communicate love, right? The, the touch, the kiss, the caress. And husband and wife, please read my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, if you have specific questions here. But there's meant to be a great liberty and freedom in expressing intimate touches and kisses all over in a way that leads husband and wife into that fullness of the embrace. And that that is a, a great joy for a husband and wife. When we start stimulating our spouse's body with something other than our own touch or kiss or caress, but we introduce some mechanical object into the into the exchange, the point of touch is no longer flesh to flesh, skin to skin. It's, it's a mechanical object that is now between you and your spouse. And I'm, I'm, I'll just say it plainly, a, a, a mechanical object cannot communicate the same message, does not communicate the same message that a, tuss, a touch, a kiss, a caress, does. In fact, it becomes a, a block to that 
touch, to that communication of love through the body, uh, we, we've become so alienated from our bodies in the modern world. In the pornographic culture, when that has been our frame for understanding sex and sexual pleasure, we, we isolate sexual pleasure from the person. We isolate sexual pleasure from what it's meant to be, which is the joy of loving as Christ loves. And we can think of that line in the gospel, love one another, this certainly applies to spouses, love one another as I have loved you. I tell you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. To introduce some mechanical object, some thing into the relationship is of its very nature a distance from the person. It puts a... a, a, a an object, literally, it puts an object between you and your spouse. When you're being stimulated by an object, you're not being stimulated or loved by a person, right? It's the touch, it's the body to body, skin to skin, flesh to flesh. Uh, that is the, the design of God for communicating the joys and delights of the marital embrace. When we when we introduce a foreign object, it isolates the pleasure from the personal experience, even if it may be your spouse who's manipulating that object to bring the physical stimulation to the other. There's something, because it's an object and because it's not a person, there's something objectifying and impersonal about it of its very nature, I would argue. And therefore, I would say it, it furthers the alienation from the body. It furthers the, the rupture of sexual pleasure from the context of interpersonal communion and, and affection. So I, I simply couldn't recommend that a married couple go down that path. Um, now, as far as this argument about, well, what about the, the bed itself? Isn't that an, an aid? Of course, there can be aids, uh, certainly a bed is a helpful thing. Uh, we could talk about lighting, we could talk about music, we could talk about candlelight, we could talk about um, perfumes, we could talk about massage oils, we could talk about all kinds of things that are are helpful to enhance. Let me just throw in temperature of the room. Temperature, <laughs> yes. <laughs> temperature of the room. Absolutely. Um, all of these things can help and enhance the experience, but the experience being understood as skin to skin, body to body, flesh to flesh, that's the communication of, of true marital affection, to introduce a foreign object into, the, into that communication is objectifying and, and impersonal. Mm. That's, that's my take on it. And, and I, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was very interesting that we had this question twice today somehow it just kind of brought it home to me like we do need to talk about that yeah. with our listeners and um just one of the things that i find myself wondering i i often try to listen to you as if i am a listener you know and, and imagine what if i feel afraid of what you're saying that yeah. somehow um i'm gonna be you know unable to perform or um, missing out on something that I really like or that that 
maybe what you're saying makes me uh, feel insecure or um, angry, you know. And so just as I'm thinking about some of those feelings that could come up, um, I feel a compassion for our listeners that, um, you know, the Lord knows your whole story, your whole life, your whole journey. And um, really, there is nothing you cannot talk to the Lord about. Amen. Nothing. Nothing. He already knows. And he wants to speak to you, especially if you're having anger or fear, um, that he really wants to, as we often see it, as him shining light into our hearts to help us to know ourselves as well as he knows us. And to really desire his desire for us to be at peace with the journey. If your um, marital embrace is becomes unfamiliar and um, uncertain as a result of setting aside something that had been part of your marital embrace uh, in order to be more truly flesh to flesh, person to person, if there's awkwardness there, if it's um, challenging, the Lord loves you so much there and wants you to trust. It's like it's like the process of watching a garden grow. You know, if you would get mm. frustrated because it's not immediately in full flower, that's just not fair to the process of growth. And you are human beings in the process of growth. And if this is sort of a reset for you in your marriage, the Lord is not abandoning you, leaving you alone with your soil and seed and saying, too bad. No, he's he's tending that ground of your hearts and your marriage right with you and rejoicing as you gradually grow into a new, beautiful phase. So I just wanted to share that image with our listeners. Wendy, I, I really hear the Lord's tenderness in your voice there. It's so important. Please do not take anything I said in terms of my firmness in saying, I don't think this is appropriate. Uh, please don't take any of that as if there's some big finger-wagging hand reaching out of, of heaven with a spotlight on you, shaming you or condemning you. That is not the Lord. As Wendy was saying, the Lord knows your whole story and wants to speak to your heart tenderly, tenderly, inviting you into new levels of intimacy. And there are many occasions, many occasions throughout the course of a marriage where it's time to, to for lack of another expression, uh, hit the reset button. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had many times like that in our own marriage, and specifically resetting our our sexual intimacy. Lord, what, something's gotten off here. Something's gone down a, a, a path that is not bearing good fruit, and we need to hit the reset button and share our hearts and make ourselves spiritually vulnerable in a heart-to-heart -heart sharing that creates the, the terrain for real intimacy, or to use your image, Wendy, maybe uh, tills the soil to allow those that garden to, to bear its, its proper fruit in, in due time. Hmm. Be not afraid. Keep going. Bless you, bless you. And that was that was Mac, and Mac is a patron. Is that yes. right? Mm -hmm. I just want to shout out to you, Mac. Thank you so much for 
your patronage of the work at the Theology of the Body Institute. We can't continue to do the work that we do if we don't have patrons who believe in the work we do and support us. And I just want to encourage anybody out there, if you've benefited from the work we do here at the Theology of the Body Institute and you're not already a patron, would you please click the link below to learn more about becoming a patron? Just $10 a month, you know, two cups of coffee a month. The cost of two cups of coffee a month will go a long, long way towards helping us to do the work that we do. We'd be mm -hmm. so grateful to you. Our next question is from a listener named Becca. Hello, Becca. Hello, and thank you for your podcast. I'm struggling with understanding my identity as a woman and a wife. Throughout my seven years of marriage, I've clung to the idea that I need to be sexy so that my husband mm. will desire me mm. and not be tempted to look at other women. Mm. Aging and bearing children has shown me that my body can't always look attractive in that shallow sense, and I need to learn to see myself as a valuable person beyond my looks. How do I do this without always worrying that my husband will want something I'm not? He is a good man seeking holiness. But I know that men are always attracted to physical beauty, and it's hard to feel your worth as a woman when you no longer feel beautiful. I think that your wisdom could help me navigate mm. this. Bless you, dear Becca. Bless you, dear sister. Wendy, I know you're going to have some rich thoughts and reflections as a, a woman. I, as I always do, I'll speak as a man. Um, Yes, yes, men tend to be wired in a way uh, that leans in the direction of youthful attractiveness. Um, you know, evolutionary biologists have their own take on it, uh, as, you know, the man is, is somehow wired this way towards finding a woman who's properly fertile, who can continue his genealogical line. Um, perhaps there are some truths to that, but we can't reduce the human experience to that, right? There's a theological perspective as well, and this opens up the entire question for us that, that faith shines a bright light on of the mystery of aging, dying, what What is happening when we're aging? I mean, I'm 53. Wendy, you're 50. We're both going gray. We got wrinkles and age spots, and we certainly don't look the way we looked when we got married 27 years ago. What is this a reminder of? It's a reminder of death. Uh, we're headed to death, and my gray hair and Wendy, your gray hair is a reminder that we're dying. And I'm just going to say it, you know, at some visceral level, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't like that we're going to die. And I know in my own attraction to youthful beauty, there is a fear of death. It's inherent in that attraction to youthful beauty. I'm scared of death, and I have to reckon with that. Uh, there's the... I'm thinking of that line in the movie... Um, What's that share movie? We watched it recently. Moonstruck? Moonstruck, Moonstruck. Right, where 
So this woman, she's probably in her late 50s or early 60s, and her husband is chasing after these younger women. And she says, did we comment on this recently in another episode? I don't know. I can't remember. Sorry if we did, people out there who <laughs> keep better track of our podcast than we do. Um, but anyway, so this woman has a husband who's chasing after these younger women, and she asks this other guy, why do, why do men chase after younger women? And he says, I think it's fear of death. And I think he's right. This raise this, your own fear that you're having of getting older and being, quote, less attractive than you once were. And I put that in quotes because are you less attractive? No. No. No, you are not less attractive. You are less attractive in the way the culture understands attraction right? But if we are seeing through eyes of faith, that's a big if, if we are seeing through eyes of faith, you become more attractive because you are known more by your husband. You are loved more by your husband. Speaking as a husband uh, who's been married for 27 years and to a, a woman who's aging, that's what happens over 27 years. You age, and guess what? So do I. I age. I have had to battle. I, I will confess, I have had to battle to, to even wrench myself and my mindset and my way of thinking out of the way the world has taught me to think, where youthful beauty is idolized. And I have had to renounce that idol. It is an idol. And I have had to, over and over again, say, in the name of Jesus— I renounce my idolatry of youthful beauty. What enables me to renounce that idolatry? The promise of the resurrection. We are made, and John Paul speaks of this in his Theology of the Body. He says that the man yearns for the integral beauty of his wife, a beauty that is perfect in body and soul only expression of a beauty that is perfect in body and soul. In other words, the only experience of true fulfillment of that deep desire in the man's heart, the only fulfillment of that is the resurrection of the body on the other side at the end of time when Christ returns and we're all raised with glorified bodies. That and that alone will be the superabounding fulfillment of that desire of the man to have his wife be integrally beautiful, perfectly beautiful in body and soul. So it is faith in that promise of the Lord that our bodies will be glorified. It is faith in that promise. It is the hope of that promise that enables me to renounce my idol of youthful beauty. I think of, of Hugh Hefner you know, in his 80s, pictured with these women in their 20s who have silicone breasts and bleach blonde hair. What's going on there? It is, it is fear of death. That's what's going on there. Fear of death. And every man in his own way has to reckon with that. And every woman in her own way has to reckon with the fact that the man she's married to has to reckon with that. And women have to reckon in their own, own way with, with aging and death, but I would venture to say the lion's share of what the woman is reckoning with, and I think this is what this woman 
is reckoning with is I'm married to a man who's attracted to youthful beauty, and I can't maintain that. It's impossible. The solution here is not for the woman to continually get plastic surgery so she can look youthful even when she's no longer youthful. That's not really solving the problem. That's kind of playing right into it. The solution to the problem is for the man to experience real, interior, deep conversion and faith in the promise of the resurrection of the body. That promise and that promise alone can enable a husband and a wife to age peacefully and gracefully without looking with a kind of idolatrous pining on youth. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Becca, I'm so struck by you saying you're kind of naming, um, you see the need in your own heart here when you say, I need to learn to see myself as a valuable person mm. beyond my looks. And that you name that and then you're, you go on to ask, how do I do this without always worrying that my husband will want something I'm not? So I think that that is a true naming of part of the maturing of a woman. Mm. Um, that is a beautiful naming of one of the graces of almost another growing up that we need to go through in, in our adulthood. Um, because here you've you know entered into marriage with a certain amount of confidence um, that he will be attracted to me because I'm sort of meeting certain standards. And, and yet the confidence gets lost when the standards aren't possible to be met anymore. And, and when we don't have confidence, we have fear and worry. So all of that is, is a grace moment in a woman's life, and, and it extends over a, a significant time in a woman's life, I believe, and I can certainly say this is true for myself, of, of reconsidering uh, what is my beauty, because really, I think that all women want to be beautiful. Yes. I don't think that that is somehow a just a sign of fallenness. No, to, I agree. A desire to be beautiful is part of us, and and we can desire it in a holy way, um, and we can desire it in an unholy way. And sometimes we're in the middle of that, and we're trying to make that cro that journey into the you know, the holiness of that desire. I think it is, it has been part of my journey anyway, to cry out to the Lord at times, just that cry, I want to be beautiful. And just to open that up, that aspect of my feminine heart, and allow the Lord to respond to me there in that desire to be beautiful. I think there's a moment of grace also in your marriage. So yes, it's a it's a certain maturing process. And by saying that, please don't anyone hear me saying 
I think you're immature. It's not that. It's part of the adult journey. And we do have a journey. We don't just grow up from childhood and you're an adult and we just stay that person. That would be boring. (laughs) (laughs) We keep developing and growing. That's part of the joy of human life. It keeps it interesting and powerful and meaningful. And that's what we're about. So there's no criticism. We are where we are right now. We're going where the Lord's taking us and we're encountering struggles along the way. And this is a very common struggle to encounter along the way is what I'm trying to say. But it's also an opportunity for grace in your relationship with your husband. Because the Lord, just as he created you to desire to be loved for who you are and your deeper, more essential beauty to be seen and treasured by the one who knows you so intimately as your husband. It's also part of God's plan for your husband to be enraptured with that deeper, more essential beauty. And if he's trapped somewhere where he can't get at your deeper beauty, then this is going to be part of his beautiful journey, his manly journey is to go deeper into the depths of who he's married to and how honored he is to receive you as a gift. That, I just think, is a powerful call for both of you at this time. And I, I, when you say, um, you know, how can I make this journey without worrying about my husband? I think There's a lot that you can lay out before the Lord in a journal, in prayer, maybe on a retreat with a spiritual director to kind of in your own story, your particular story of your life and your marriage to allow the Lord to kind of to shine a light, to use that expression again, on where you've come from, where you are, where you're going, trusting that he has deeper riches for you and that he's actually by the circumstances of your aging and childbearing he's like unlocking the gate into mm. those deeper riches and i'm i'm really happy for you becca it's really beautiful becca i want to invite you to turn that worry into a prayer for your husband i know wendy that your prayers for me in my brokenness in my being formed by this world that idolizes youthful beauty, when you have needed to cry out to the Lord to know your beauty in His eyes, there has always been also a prayer in that cry for your husband's healing. And that prayer has borne fruit in my life. Keep praying for me, because I'm not 100% sanctified, and I never will be in this life, and that's part of the adventure that we're both on as as husband and wife. That's true. But I want to underscore, Becca, that your journey here, and your insecurities here, and your questions and your worry here is intertwined with your husband, because you have become one flesh, and you're working through these fears and insecurities and questions and worries and opening them to the Lord as a prayer for yourself, but also as a prayer for your husband, will bear fruit in your husband's life precisely 
because you are one flesh. Will you see that fruit in this life? I pray and hope that you do. But I know lots of examples of marriages where it doesn't seem like there is fruit in this life, but that fruit becomes evident in the next life. There are stories, I'm thinking of Elizabeth Lesseur and her husband Felix, and what she suffered. If, read their story. She has a her journal. What's her journal called, Wendy? My Spirit Rejoices. My Spirit Rejoices. Elizabeth Lesseur prayed and prayed for the conversion of her husband, and she didn't see it in this life. Uh, she died, and uh, her husband found her prayer journal, and he was converted only after her death. So there are instances like that, but we can trust, we can trust that our prayers for our spouse will bear fruit. They, they are effective. This is part of the grace of the sacrament of marriage. So know that you're opening those fearful and difficult places in your heart, those questions, and working through those questions and coming to a place of knowing your beauty before the Lord. I'm thinking of that verse from the Old Testament, the king desires your beauty. Hmm. Every woman needs to know that. The king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Christ the true bridegroom, sees your true beauty and desires your true beauty, and wants you to know how beautiful you are in his eyes. If you can stand from that posture of knowing how beautiful you are in the Lord's eyes, then there can be a liberation, uh, even if your husband doesn't see your beauty as he's called to. And guess what? No husband sees his wife's beauty perfectly as he's called to. Every woman needs to know from the true bridegroom Jesus Christ how beautiful she is. Knowing that will enable you to love your husband and not demand something from him that he can't give you in his own brokenness and imperfection. But that too, and this is what I want to underscore, that too is a prayer for your husband that does bear fruit and does lead to his sanctification. Bless you, Becca. Our next question is from Laura. Laura says, Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you for the time and energy you put into this podcast. It has truly been a gift to me. I'm I so glad, Laura. You're welcome. My husband and I both grew up in Protestant churches. And after my husband's several-year-long journey of reading about the history of the church and traditional forms of Christianity, TOB has been the primary resource that has captivated my heart and helped me to join him more fully as we explore the Catholic Church together. This journey now feels like it is ours and not just his, and it has overlapped with our first year of marriage and becoming pregnant with our first child due wow. in January. What a journey you guys have been on. TOB has helped both of us frame many of the beautiful and difficult things that these life changes have held. And as we approach labor and delivery, I'm wondering if you have any words to share about TOB and the process of birthing. I am personally quite anxious about giving birth for the first time and hope that any insight you can share will help to illuminate the meaning and spiritual significance of it, as well as provide a way to think and pray about it as it approaches. Mm. Wow. Wow, Laura. So rich. What a journey. I, I'm 
led to a few scriptures that come to my my mind just hearing you share your story hearing you share your concerns about birth wendy you've given birth five times i've been with you right in the action every time and i'm sure you're going to have lots to share here too but i'll i'll take it from this angle christ himself compares what he went through in his passion to the pains of a woman in labor. It's the Last Supper, and he says to his disciples gathered around him, what we're about to go through is like the pains of a woman in labor. She wails aloud as she suffers to give birth, but when she holds her child, she forgets her suffering, for there is now rejoicing. Here, Jesus is saying that a woman in labor, giving birth, is an image for us through which we can understand the whole mystery of creation, fall, and redemption. Let us not forget that that increase in the labor pains was one of the fruits of original sin, right? We can say with Jesus, in the beginning, it was not so. Right? The labor pains were not part of God's original plan, but somehow woman bears in her very body, she bears in the very reality of these intense labor pains, she bears something of the pain of living in a fallen world. But within that also, because of the very fact that she's giving birth to a new child, that pain itself has within it the promise of joy. Mm. So it's like praying through, it's like in the labor pains, you're praying through the sorrowful mysteries. But then in holding the child, you're praying through the joyful mysteries and the glorious mysteries. Mm. And you're praying it with your body, like you, it's a living rosary. Mm. Going through this process is a living rosary. Here's the other scripture that came to mind was Romans chapter 8, where St. Paul says that the whole universe is groaning as in the pains of a woman in labor, waiting for Christians to say yes to the redemption of their bodies. So what you're experiencing as you go into labor to give birth it's cosmic. It, it has ramifications for the whole universe and for the whole mystery of redemption. Christ came to redeem the whole universe, and it's as if through the incarnation, the universe has been impregnated with the divine life, but Christ still needs to be brought to birth. You know, his second coming will be the definitive revelation of the Son of God, and creation is groaning in labor pains, waiting for that second coming of Christ, what we could even call a second birth of sorts of Christ. You are participating in bringing Christ to the world by entering into the mystery of childbirth from that posture of faith. Mm. I have so many 
vivid memories that are coming up <laughs> as we're talking about this. I have some funny ones too. <laughs> um, what a powerful time this is. And she did say that the baby's coming soon. Mm. So we're, we're talking about the final preparation at yeah. this point. Um, and here you are maybe in an, an somewhat uncomfortable stage of pregnancy. At least many women do find the last few weeks uncomfortable enough to maybe motivate them to do anything to have it <laughs> over. It's kind of like a little motivation to be willing to go through labor um, is that the, the pregnancy has become uh, hard. <laughs> so if that is the case, I think there is a way of entering into any discomfort associated just with the pregnancy that is inviting the Lord to inspire you, you know, in how to care for your body, how to share with your husband your experiences of your body, um, and to kind of have a unity together with this process. Um, I know for us, it was meaningful in the last few weeks to do some exercises together that we had learned in our childbirth preparation class to even to have you work to um, stretch my perineum to prepare, you know, like for really, you know, my body to physically open up to give yes. birth. What an honor it was to do that, my love. Um, which we had learned you know, through our childbirth preparation. So that was just a very helpful thing to kind of gain that comfort with trying to communicate about what was going on with my body. Because you know what? I was not very good at communicating about what's going on with me in the moment. And that was a challenge for us. So I, I did have to to grow in that. And, um, and it was kind of a, just a wonderful way to kind of get ready for birthing and labor. But my experience then when we actually were in labor each time was one of sensing our partnership mm. as it's a, a time of being husband and wife, but also of being parents mm. that we are united. Our bond as husband and wife has made us parents and we are committed just as we're committed to going through this experience of labor and birth together with its difficulties and its joys. We're committed in the same way to this child and yes. all the unknown yes. journey of parenthood with this child, uh, our bodies in kind of, physically relying, you know, I'm kind of relying on you, you're tuning into what's going on with my body, are, are a sign of that commitment to being present to this child throughout the growth of, you know, of being parents. Yes. Um, so that was a very powerful experience. I'll also share that each time I, um, well, maybe not the first, I'll take that back. The second, third, fourth, and fifth times I had babies, I I know in those I had an experience of kind of a garden of Gethsemane mm -hmm. in that sometime shortly before the labor actually started, maybe in the last few days of the pregnancy, I really had to kind of cry out to the Lord and say yes to going through labor. Oh, man. 
Um, and I don't say that to increase any anxiety. I'm just being honest that there was a certain kind of uh, looking at my fear and trusting the Lord to be with me in all things. Um, so I just share that as my part of my story. Um, and he was with me. He was with us. There's nothing that we've faced in birthing that was um, unbearable. In fact, after our first one was born, we were so exhilarated, so amazed. I remember you saying, again, again, <laughs> just the the reward of that going through such an intense experience together yeah. and being, you know, in the awesome presence of this new life, of the the open eyes of your baby looking at your face. And we both experienced that. We already know that baby's in there and you are, as the mother, intimately aware of that baby's movements of that baby's body, but that when you encounter one another with that gaze, there is such a bond that is happening, yes. such a powerful sense of giving yourself to that one who's looking at you with trust, of receiving that child as a gift. All of that is so T-O-B, yeah, right? Yeah. The giving and receiving that we experience in that. Um, so I, I hope some of that is encouraging and hopeful as just maybe to know that a little bit of anxiety is normal and that a sense of relying on the Lord and one another um, is a the most powerful resource that you bring into your um, journey together as spouses becoming parents of this new life. Those five births, lover, are some of the most precious, poignant memories mm -hmm. of our lives together as husband and wife. Mm -hmm. uh, and you were, you were amazing. Each time I was just filled with awe and wonder and some level of trepidation as to what you were enduring. And I, I, I was as present to you as I could possibly be, but there was, there was something you had to go through that I could only go through beside you. I was not experiencing yes. myself. Right. And I remember, I remember these are some of the funny stories I mentioned that I remember at one point you were in transition or something and you were just going through such painful contractions and you looked at me with, with, with a kind of, maybe you even said it, or maybe I'm reading this into the expression on your face, but it was like, you did this to me. I sure didn't say that. No, <laughs> you may have felt it. That's how I felt. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this to you. But then really we lived each time that we lived that experience of the joy coming and holding the child, just almost erasing the sense of the pain. Hmm. And it really was a, a living experience of walking through those sorrowful mysteries into the joyful and the glorious mysteries as a lived experience. I also remember a funny memory. I think it was Grace, our fifth. When, and I, just context for our listeners, we had mid, a midwife each time, but I always said to the midwife, unless there's a medical emergency, I want to be the first to touch this child. I want to be the one to catch this child. I want to be the one to... Mm -hmm announce the sex of the child. Um, 
And all our midwives were great with that, and we didn't have any complications and any births. Mm -hmm. And I was able to be right there, part of the action. And I remember I was always wanted to be the first to touch the baby. And and when the baby was crowning and the head was visible, I I got the holy water and I blessed. I think yes. it was Grace. I blessed her head and I said, Wendy, Wendy, I feel the head. <laughs> and you said, You feel the head. <laughs> you feel. The head. <laughs> well, think what I'm yeah, feeling. Think what you're feeling. Oh my gosh, the ring of fire. But I want to honor you for something. You brought up that sense of needing to, you know, allow me to experience something that you know you could only in some ways observe because there's something that is important to me in that um i read once that pain always has a purpose and that in labor the purpose of the pain this was one person's thought but it mm -hmm. meant something to me was to say that the woman who's who's in labor her only role now is in giving birth mm. and there there is something where you had to respect that i'm going through labor and allow me just to be in that role mm. that that i didn't have a certain responsibility to care for you at that time no you did not and and you had to be at peace with that and allow me to do that and i i know of myself that i tend to kind of close my eyes you know there's like a turning into like my inner being that i'm sure is hard you'd like to have some visual contact just like i was talking about with the baby afterwards mm -hmm. you had to kind of surrender that mm -hmm. for a time while i was you know turning into the work of birthing and i i thank you for that for just allowing me to go through that as i needed to absolute honor wendy yeah it was, I, I can't think of a greater honor than to be with you in and through that thank you my love so powerful Lord, Lord, you you see these mysteries from a heavenly perspective. Uh, we entrust all of our sufferings to you, Lord, as a kind of labor pain, preparing us to be born anew into the eternal reality. Give us that faith, Lord, that all of the sufferings of our lives have meaning. We ask a special prayer for Laura as she approaches the time of delivering this child. Be with her, Lord. Let her know your presence. Let her know her body and her sufferings, her bodily sufferings, her spiritual sufferings have deep meaning. And she is participating with you in the mystery of the redemption, the redemption of the body. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. Yes. Lord. And thank you all of our listeners for the questions that you send in. Please keep them coming. Uh, without your questions, we don't have a show to offer you. We would just be banting the whole time. You don't want to hear about Christmas carols or shopping, uh, you know, the whole episode. So keep those questions coming. And if you were blessed today by this episode, please share this so we can get the word out to others. And again, I'd like to invite anybody who's not already a patron, would you please prayerfully consider supporting the work of the Theology of the Body Institute. It just starts at $10 a month. That makes you a patron, and we have lots of goodies and benefits and ongoing formation for our patrons. You can check that out at the link below. Until our next time together on our next episode, may you know it from head to toe, deep in your heart, that you are a gift. Become what you are. Woo!
Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.